Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so delighted to introduce and and welcome Tommy Wolf to the show. She's the executive director of the Grace Gorilla Rehabilitation and Conservation Education Center, which is based in the Eastern Congo, although Tommy is in Boulder, Colorado, USA. You might be wondering why gorillas on Dog Talk and Kitties too, but you know that I welcome all animals here, most particularly those who are under siege by humans. Tommy, welcome to the show, and what an exciting life you have directing this beautiful facility that I'm going to ask you a million questions about. Why is it, first of all, that you're in Boulder, Colorado, and the center and the gorillas are in Africa? Thank you, Tracy, um, and thank you for being interested in gorillas. I think <laughs> I everybody is. To them. <laughs> oh, Tommy, I think everybody is. I think elephants and gorillas are just really hard for humans to not care about deeply and feel very bad about what we've, we're doing to them and have done to them. So, yes, I I'm agree. very interested and, and thrilled to have actually learned about Grace Gorilla Center through Jeff Flocken, who, as you know, is the head of the Humane Society International who spoke so highly of the work you're doing. And then I went online and looked, and I do recommend to anybody that you have a look at this amazing, heartwarming, spirit-uplifting place that Tommy is running. So there you are in Colorado. Why is that? Well, some of it's history and some of it's uh, logistics. So we have a skeleton staff in the U.S., and we have almost 70 people on the ground in the Congo, so I would say we're basically based in the Congo, but uh, the parts that we do in the U.S. are largely uh, fundraising and lo- logistics, uh, which is quite hard to do from the Congo, honestly. So it I just makes imagine. sense. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. It does. I'm sure that, the well, it just proves that the people who care about gorillas are in this part of the world, which isn't to say that no one there cares about them, but to raise money and to keep your engine running, I imagine it's easier in a place where people have may- maybe a different perception of gorillas. Is that a, a true statement? Are the people in the Congo, do they just have a different relationship to gorillas or other primates than we do who have only honestly seen them in a movie or you know, read about them in a book or seen them on a Discovery Channel? 
That's such a good question, and I'm not sure I've ever been asked it, Tracy. So thank you for asking it, and I'd love to answer it. <laughs> Firstly, most of the the community we operate in, honestly, one of the most remote places on earth, uh, and also one of the poorest places on earth. And I will tell you, interestingly, most of our community members have never seen a gorilla. Oh. You know, gorillas tend to. Go, we work in thick tropical forests, so and gorillas melt into the bush. They're hard to see. Uh, especially if they're not habituated or tamed in any way. And uh, most of our villagers would not have seen a gorilla in their life, which is interesting all by itself. It is. Uh, because it's one of the poorest places on earth, I would, I would tell you it's more survival of everyday needs is so difficult in this part of the world that I don't know that it's, I don't know if they have the luxury of stopping and thinking about anything right. other than their own right. survival. So I don't know that it's that they disregard or don't care about their gorillas. They probably most of them don't know about them very mm -hmm, much, mm -hmm. and um, they're too busy trying to take care of, you know, surviving kids and st surviving, surviving exactly. day to day, just scraping exactly. together enough to get through to the next day. It is that's as hard to imagine as as the beauty of the place that you've created for these gorillas. So there are there are some animals who are attacked and killed for their body parts, their skin, their tests, their teeth, uh, out mm -hmm. of some sort of primitive ignorance on the part of those who want to buy those parts. But the people who mm -hmm. live amongst those animals, ha are it's a way of life. It's a, it's a survival technique for them. But that isn't true of gorillas, is it? Are gorillas under attack by humans who want to make a buck off of them? Well, our sanctuary was founded because of a need, because of a, exactly that, Tracy. So uh, we have 14 critically endangered growers gorillas at our sanctuary. Um, all of them were rescued from the wildlife trafficking trade. Ooh. So somebody was trying to make a buck out of them. And the fact is, you know, if you can, if you can sell a baby gorilla, you can probably make more money than most people would make in a lifetime in the Congo. No kidding. So and who wants the baby gorilla? Lucrative. A, a zoo wants the baby gorilla? Uh, not in this country. No. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, most of our zoos are, are protected by the board of uh, so the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and they wouldn't touch wild trafficked animals. Oh, nice. But we do still have countries in the world that will buy wild trafficked animals, unfortunately. So in other um, but words, it's hard to get a baby gorilla because, you know, in order to get a baby gorilla, somebody's killed the whole family. You know, they're like people. Oh. They don't give up their babies. Oh, so, my goodness. Um, so I would imagine, you know, if you were trying to take somebody's toddler, the whole family would just sort of gather yes. around. And yes. So it's, it's normally an absolute tragedy when we do rescue um, a baby gorilla. And the ones that have come to us have come to us in heartbreaking condition. You know, they've been carried around in somebody's backpack for two weeks while somebody's been trying to sell them. It's very hard to look after gorillas, so most of them are going to die anyway oh while they're my. in that sort of care. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've been able to do with these, you know, these highly traumatized little animals that come to us. And you have, do you have one-on-one -on -one caregivers for them as if they were a parental figure? We have to when they come in, and we try very hard to get out of that situation, and I'll tell you why, because it's interesting. But when they come in, you could imagine th these baby gorillas are like highly traumatized children. They're, you know, they're absolutely terrified 
and they have 24 by 7 caregivers. Uh, we literally have to put two people in so that one of them gets a break. Wow. But they will have a little baby gorilla they sleep with, eat with, wash with, everything. Wow. Until we can de-traumatize the baby gorilla enough. And then we go and in, we try and reintroduce them to their surrogate gorilla family because we now have 14 gorillas living happily at our sanctuary. And they live like wild gorillas. We're, we're hoping to reintroduce them. So we really try not to get them too dependent on humans for too long. We want to be able to put them back where they should should be. So what is the uh, danger? A, what is the danger to them if you were to reintegrate them to the beautiful forest? Are the people who want to traffic them still out there waiting, rubbing their hands together? I don't know that that's our, the major difficulty. I think it's more, um, I th- you know, it's it's risky to reintroduce gorillas. So I think there are other problems which one wouldn't expect. But um, the, the the family that they live in families. If you were just going to reintroduce them to the wild a little bit more, like a rhino or something, it would be easier. Right. But they've got to go into a family. And, um, you know, male gorillas don't love bringing in new babies because it's threatening to them. Sure. <laughs> so infanticide is something very unusual in the gorilla families that you need to worry about. Um, but it's really, will they be accepted into the new family? Will they be able to? They're very delicate to look after, you know. So if they suddenly have a complete change in food, their gut bio might be enough that they wouldn't survive wow. the changes. So it's a very, very tricky and hasn't been very successful in the past to reintroduce gorillas. So we're working on a very complicated project at the moment with just the best experts on the planet helping us. It is fascinating to, how many aspects of their of their being have to be considered. I mean, who would I would not expect that the gut biome of a gorilla who's been eating gorilla appropriate food at your center would do mm-hmm. poorly if the leaf the leaves changed or the fruit changed but it but apparently they're that delicate it's enough that we've got scientists working on on you know, the gut biome changes they're very delicate tummies <laughs> wow that's so, so uh, that's a, that's that's so unusual it's unusual to my ears and maybe to the people listening because yeah. we think of a gorilla you know taking big handfuls of fruits and leaves and just, you know, munching away and being Mm. so big and strong looking, certainly as adults, that you wouldn't think anything could knock them over. And apparently just a change in what they're eating. I I got a chance to look at some gorillas close up. I am not a... I have a confused, ambivalent feeling about zoos. I guess everybody does because we're supposed to be, you know, sort of socially (laughs) aware. But is it bad? Is it good? And I was in Berlin, which was a city that I didn't care for at all. So I thought, well, there's a zoo and a really a a high cultured society will have a good zoo. And they did. It was Mm -hmm. all natural habitats. A panda sat on his own park bench eating his bamboo stalks. It was great. But the gorillas... (laughs) The, the the minder the 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 keeper the feeder um, would stay they were they had a big outdoor area with a big moat and theoretically I guess they couldn't come over the moat but he would talk, they each went to their place they knew where their spot was where they were going to be sent some food and he would send them mm-hmm. a whole head of celery the whole the whole thing and they would catch it in one hand and then he'd send them a bunch of apples or a whole cabbage so you're saying that their gut biome is so delicate. It's like he ate the entire head of celery in no time. 
So, is well, that it's more like you going on vacation to a different place I and see. not knowing the food. It's, it's more that sort of reaction. You know, a lot of people go on vacation and can't eat the food. That's without, true. That's yeah, true. So, <laughs> so well, these babies, you you have to be with them nonstop. They have to be touched and held for around the clock by a human and one that they've come to accept and, and trust. And then you put them, you try to put them out with the, the family you've created at Grace Gorilla Center. Mm-hmm. And then that's one obstacle. And then the later obstacle would be, could any of them be reintroduced out into the wild? Or do they ha- or do they live in a family forever or just till they're a certain age? Uh, well, well, it's interesting because it's a dynamic situation. They always live in a family, but uh, they they aren't, uh, you know, males get to a certain age where they might go off and have a small group of males or oh, really? um, females might change from family one to family two. So that's quite normal in gorilla society. So, but they don't, they're not uh, isolated creatures. They really aren't. They, like, they, they live in families. <laughs> and that's why a good zoo will have them in a family. Definitely, And a yeah. center like yours has to consider that. You mentioned them being grower gorillas. How many kinds of gorillas are there? There are four. So there are four uh, subspecies of gorillas, two um, in the east of the tropical forests in Africa and two in the west. So, um, you know, we have the Cross River in the western lowland in the west, and then we have the very famous mountain gorilla, which is an eastern highland gorilla, in the east of uh, Africa, and then we also have the lowland or the growers, and all of our all all grower gorillas that are rescued will come to our sanctuary. So that's the only gorilla we deal with. So you're very specific to that. So the mountain gorillas are those yes. the ones that people spend a huge amount of money to go trekking up into the mountain, hoping to catch a glimpse. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly I right. I see. Now you said Eastern Congo. Can you explain just a little? I mean, I, I find that that when we're learning about we dog and cat people, let's say, are learning about another species, mm-hmm. the more we learn, the better. So, And even people listening that aren't even dog and cat people that just like the show, it's wonderful to be able to learn many things about the world. What is the difference between Eastern Congo and the other Congo? Well, yes. Well, when I first started working in Greece, I didn't realize that there were two Congos, but there's a Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, which used to be called Zaire, oh. and then there's the Republic of the Congo, which is smaller and a little bit north. But what's lovely about the Democratic Republic of the Congo, I'm sure everybody's seen those gorgeous NASA photographs where you see Africa with this huge green sweep yes. right along yes. the equator. Most of that is actually uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The country is... It's like something, it just gets my pulse going. It's beautiful. It's full of rushing rivers and waters. And today, some of the most pristine forests on earth. It's probably what Brazil looked like 100 years ago or 200 years ago. So it's a really exciting place from a climate perspective and a biodiversity perspective. We're located right in one of the top biodiversity hotspots in the world with almost half of Africa's species, whether it's birds or butterflies oh or reptiles, they're all there my because God. it's tropical forest right on the equator. And who's protecting it since it's always the, the, the whole planet's in such danger from greedy humans? What protection is there and is it effective? I wish there was a whole lot more, you know. Um, I think the Congo is one of the most important places in the world. It's difficult. It's been war-torn. 
And I definitely notice a, um, a resistance for people to get involved because of that reason. Yes. And I always want to say we have no choice. <laughs> you right. know, if you're concerned about biodiversity or the climate, the Congo is really one of the most critical places left on earth to, to be working in. Um, you know, and it's something I've noticed, but Americans are an intensely generous country, nation. Oh, we give enormously. But 95% of it stays at home from individual givers. Well, yes, because you never, you don't have a sense when money goes to war-torn places or even to good works right. ab abroad. You, there's always that kind of suspicion or cynicism. Mm -hmm. Will it ever get to the end place or is it going to be siphoned off and, you know, made off with by, by people along the way? Which happens yes, in the I U.S. Think as well. Have I, I think it happens everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I do feel that the Congo could use more protection and more funding b because of global needs for fresh water and right. clean air. And, so and all these so. species that are still And all thriving. the incredible species that, you know, and most of them are in free fall. They're oh, mostly plummeting in terms of numbers, gorillas included. Well, we're almost out of time, Tommy, but I just want to know, other than giving some money to Grace Gorilla, is there anything else we can do? I mean, obviously, hold hold the gorillas in our thoughts and know that Eastern Congo is a magnificent place. Should people visit? Is or is that out of? Is that really unrealistic? Not, no, it's certainly not. Our area is probably off the tourist track unless you're pretty hardy. It's not the world's safest place. Okay. But I would say, you know, a couple of things I'd love for people to do is learn about the Congo. It will fascinate you. It's deeply fascinated Good. me. It's just the most gorgeous place. But I would also say maybe look at Grace's Gorilla Cam. Thanks right. to Annenberg, we beam out this amazing webcam that shows That's our gorillas. Great. And I don't know if you're interested. I could share it with you, but we've got the dearest 20-minute documentary on the actual um, oh, yes. uh, rescue and, re and rehabilitation of one of our baby gorillas. And it's a very heartwarming, sweet story, but it does show our caregivers cuddling with the babies. That would be and, fabulous. Know. Tommy, we've run out of time. I'm absolutely going to put a link to the webcam, and you'll show me how to share that documentary. It's wonderful what you're doing and all of the wonderful people on the ground doing it. Every little... Every little hour of good on behalf of others is important, and these gorillas are important. So thank you for caring for them and saving them. Thank you for giving them a voice. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support their products because they stand behind my mission, which is to educate and inspire while entertaining. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like No Hide and the Hybrid Dry Food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Blue Weimar on or Maisie will eat. My other sponsor is Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. And I'm grateful to Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. 
Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.